and welcome to the Tribes for Good podcast. We are a high impact platform that helps individuals take action on social and environmental causes that they care about. In each episode, we chat to new guests who are entrepreneurs, leaders, and professors who will be sharing their social impact journey with us. You can follow us on social media at Tribes for Good and listen to the stories of change that will inspire you to join us in creating a better world. We hope you enjoy these chats as much as we do. Today, we have with us Prabhat from Mandeshi Champions, which identifies and nurtures prospective female leaders in rural India through sport. Welcome to the Tribes for Good podcast. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it for having us. Can you tell a bit about Mandeshi Champions and why you started it? So it's very interesting because um, what Mandeshi means is Man is a river which flows by our area and Deshi is like indigenous. So in a, in a way, it tells us the champions which are growing next to this bank of the river. So I like the whole kind of narrative. Before I start into getting into what we do at Mandishi and how we started it, I'll just give you a landscape, what, where we are located at. So for the listeners, I think it'll be great to understand and imagine where this program is running. So we are in India, in rural part of Maharashtra. The block, the Tessil, which we live in is called Man, which is the river as well. And most of the people who live on the Mandesi Tessel are coming from nomadic tribal communities. They're shepherds, they're sugarcane cutters. It's a landscape which have a grassland. So you'll definitely, you'll see a lot of sheep, you'll see predators as wolves and hyenas. So even if you go from our office about four kilometers away, in the evening, you'll be able to spot some hyenas and wolves as well. So it's a very interesting landscape where you see a lot of good runners coming out of it because it's very hot. So dry land, and it's, you can just run flat long distances. So you can see long distance runner coming out of it. And why I started it, why we came up with the sports idea. You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in a rural part, right? I went to a school which is a Marathi medium. It's a local language. It's a government school. And interestingly, about 20 years ago, my school had only three rooms. So in three rooms, we would have from first grade to eighth grade in those three rooms. And the reason behind that was because the school didn't have a grant. There was no financials coming in. And school had a pretty innovative system. Now people kind of like this system because school needed money, where children do farming as well. Now you'll see like in the US, in a couple parts of California and other places, you have, you have places where school want to introduce farming. They want children to get close to the earth and soil and things like that. So it was a very interesting lifestyle, but we were never introduced to organized sports. Most of the children in school will always be barefoot because no shoes available. And from the beginning, there was a gap between boys and girls. So boys went to different rooms, girls went to different rooms. So there's always the inequality from the birth, right? It happens long before even they go to school, from the families, from the communities. Now going back to the school system, the school where we were, we had to go to the farming for three days. So what we would do is we'll jump in a water well, we will swim lakes. And interestingly, we never knew that these are a competition, right? Diving is a competition, swimming is a competition, climbing and now 2020, 2021 Olympics is a part of the competition. So now what we used to do is we used to swim lakes to catch ducks. We used to climb trees to get beehives. And jumping just made us have that thrill, have that adventure. So life was very simple and also innovative in a way. Though we didn't know that these are sports, but we were doing it. 
And I was very athletic. I wanted to be part of the sporting culture, which I ne never knew about. I was fortunate to go to the US. My mom was there in Yale University. She had started India's first rural women's bank and uh, business school for women as well. So she was there in Yale University and then US Consulate had this exchange program where I was able to go and do the middle school and high school. That, the first time it gave me kind of introduction to real sports, it gave me introduction to basketball, swimming. I participated in a high school and collegiate teams. It showed me that sports is not just about competing. Sports is about getting confidence, understanding that self-esteem and building your character. Then it also taught me that I can make a lot of friends. You know, I can make the decision, I can make those choices. That kind of shaped my life. Even though I did my master's from the business and finance in Georgetown and all the places in the US and everything, I wanted to, I worked in a bank as well in the beginning, uh, HSBC and places like that. But I always wanted to, somehow I was not happy there. I wanted to be in sports, I wanted to be with children. So I decided to become a sports agent. And um, after becoming a sports agent, I, I worked with a lot of NBA athletes. I worked with uh, track and field athletes. I helped them do endorsement deals. I was having a great life. But at the end of the day, you know, my village is in India. And the children who are here still climbing trees, still swimming, and still not introduction to sports. Still, there's a huge gap between boys and girls. So I thought that maybe sports have changed my life. This is just a thought process, right? I didn't know this is going to happen like this. I thought, I, why don't I start giving opportunity for these young girls and boys to play sports. And I, I kind of started the program in 2010. I was handling it in the beginning from the US, but after that, I moved permanently and I left whatever my agency and stuff like that in the US. And I was still involved a little bit, but now I'm doing this as a full time and we have incredibly come onto the level where we are trying to now make a policy level changes in the state of uh, Maharashtra in education and sports way. So, the idea is giving them opportunity. And, and, and one of the reasons we started it, I'll also give you one example why we kind of put a lot of pressure on young girls playing sports. So I was traveling throughout Maharashtra. I think it was in middle of 2012, 2013. And I was traveling kind of just to meet different village people, meet teachers, meet uh, students, meet government officers, meet, meet politicians, just to understand and hear the stories. Right. I was not there to teach them anything. I just wanted to hear the stories from them. I stopped by one place where their labor workers were cutting sugarcane. And when I stopped by, there was a young girl who was about 13 to 14 years old cutting sugarcane. Sugarcane cutting is a tough job where you are uh, eight to nine hours in a day in 40 to 45 degrees. That's like 115 to 120 Fahrenheit. You're working hard. You're cutting sugarcane. You've never been to school before. So all that, and there are always venomous snakes in the sugarcane field, like cobras, crate, wipers. So you have to be very careful with those things. So you have to be very sharp as well. With all this going on, she stops for lunch in the middle of the day. And when I was there, she was playing with a ball which is made of clothes. I've told this story so many times, but it is so much impactful and powerful because a small girl can teach you a lot of things. She's playing with that ball, she's so happy. And when I asked her name, she said, Nakusa. Nakusa means unwanted daughter, unwanted child. So parents gave her own, their own daughter named Nakusa. And I, I, I don't wanna go, I have heard this name before. It was not shocking for me. But what surprising was that even after all this, working eight hours as a child labor, not going to school, her name is Nakusa, which is unwanted child. Even after all this, 
She's happy when she's playing with that ball. She's actually playing a dodgeball, the ball which is made of clothes. She's happy. She's smiling. I think that was like a very empowering for me to see that, that a ball can bring that kind of difference in someone's life. And that's the reason I thought about giving opportunity to play sports is very, very important. So yeah, so that was one of the key points to kind of move the program and not just competing, not just high-level elite athletes. It's more about having that fun. It's more about uh, giving that kind of experience for them. That's amazing. Um, uh, you mentioned policy level changes. I'm just wondering, are you seeing any of them being implemented yet? So yeah, we are in the process right now. We are doing a program with the government. It's called Travel Coach Program, where we, we are working with about 30 government schools. We take care of their physical education class. In that, we have uh, our travel coach, which goes in a different, different schools, teach the teacher as well as the children. And in return, we don't take the fees. What we do is we want children to plant trees and they name, we give the trees, they name those, like let's say four children have planted one tree. They have a name for it. They take care of them. And as a perk, as the tree grows, we give them bicycles, shoes, and things like that. But the real work program does is that it trains the government school teacher in physical education, mm -hmm. trains the children. So we want to talk about what happened last week with them, what happened day before. Tell a story about your childhood. Or even if you're still a child, then tell a story about some animal you saw, like hyena you saw the other day. So tell us about that. We also make them do uh, plays and skits around real issues where women are not getting treated equally, where if woman becomes a widow, the things are different for her rather than when man loses his wife. Everybody, even including the family, tells him to get remarried. Nobody tells that to a woman. And um, so we are, we're trying to you know, uh, improve on that. And that's what the policy level is going to be like. We are working on creating a policy for state, uh, state government and uh, things like that. Awesome. And in India and many other countries around the world, sport isn't generally considered a safe option towards a stable career. So how do you overcome the stereotype? Of course, it's not considered as a stable career. Let me tell you uh, different aspects of this. Now, in India, if you go in, in college and you, if you are able to go to college, if you have that kind of privilege, the parents already are determined that they want their children to be doctors, engineers, or something like that. They, so children are not able to create those dreams, right? So I think that is very, very important part to create dreams of what you wanna become, not just because your elder sister is doing it, you wanna do that. So in our program, what we do is, we don't want them to become a great athlete, to be honest. We want them to become whatever they want to. And sports is a part of it. So if a children is, is, of course, if they love the sports, if they want to, excuse me, if they want to become an athlete, then it makes sense. But otherwise, they can become a police officer. They can just become an artist. They can paint. They can draw. They can become a storyteller. Whatever they like it. They can become an astronaut. So they have free to do whatever they want. And that's the reason we are trying to do it. Now, sometimes we get also parents telling us that we want our daughter to be in your program so she can become an elite level athlete, become an Olympic medalist. So we always tell them, does that the dream of your daughter? Or this is a dream of yours? Or you have to become an Olympian. You have to become a, some elite level athlete or professional athlete. You have to have, because that kind of gives the pressure to on children. And that is the real pressure, right? You have seen it across the Indian parents have seen these things. And I think that is very important that how do you make this as a career and also make this as a fun and not just a career, but also an opportunity to play. 
So before that, to make it as a career, we also have a different programs where some athletes which are really good and they want to become top level athletes. They want to become a Olympic gold medal. They take part in Monday Asia Champions Elite Athlete, where they have coached by a high level coaches, where they get high level nutrition shoes, and all the other athletes also get nutrition and shoes, no doubt. It's just elite athletes have a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, double practices and things like that. The physiotherapy, nutrition, and, and varieties of things are provided to them. Also, normal athletes, normal children come, everybody gets food, everybody gets that. But it's just that you make that call, you make that, uh, and then children have to make their call by themselves. So we make sure that we tie up with government agencies who can pay them to play for like railways. And India has that kind of system where you can play for government agencies and you can earn money income that way as well. So we make sure that those kind of avenues are also open for them. Apart from that, if they don't want to become an athlete, if they want to become a police officer, if they want to become an astronaut, or, or they just want to understand physics better, we have this youth development center where uh, we give them opportunity to become a, whatever they want to become. We teach them in those things. So you have, we have interns coming from Georgetown and different universities. They come, they talk to children, they teach English course, they teach a physics course. We have uh, even scientists coming in and talking about biodiversity. They bring real animals in the class to show them. They, we, if they want to learn about history, we take them to the historical places in India with them, archeologists from Duke University she comes along for four days with the children. So I make sure that they get the best out of it. They listen to NPR radio in the US. They listen to chat talks. So we give them best opportunities. Whatever they can get, it has to be best. And then they choose their own careers. So we also have that kind of platform under the program as well. Um, you mentioned um, parents. So, I mean, we know that sport has the ability to teach us vital life skills. And in communities where parents may not know this or they may want their children to solely focus on academics as they view this as a sort of like a pathway out of poverty, how do you convince the parents to encourage their children to participate in sport? So the idea is there, how do I approach that kid? Is I, com I communicate with their village leader. And I also have a contact with those leaders of different, different villages where our athletes are. So in something similar cases, I can just reach out to him and kind of, you know, tell the parents that this is a great opportunity for We should not just let it go. So number one learning is that you have to be connected with the, your village leaders to convey it to the parents. Now, the second thing, sometimes it, it happens automatically. Example of Reshma Kevdi. Reshma used to hurt Buffalo. She's the fifth daughter in the family. She has a younger son. Of course, the father wanted her to have a son. That's why they went for the sixth. Now, father married four different women because he thought that it's a woman's uh, problem that he's not getting a son. So you have those characters in the villages as well, right? So when those things are happening, you have Reshma after the school, she was herding buffaloes. She was not, of course, because she's the fourth daughter or fifth daughter, you always have that in the mindset of your family that she's kind of a curse because you want her to have a son. Now, they would not give her almonds if the meat is provided, only men in the family will eat meat. That's across India in a lot of places. So when that is happening with Reshma, today Reshma, same girl who is to her buffalo, now runs marathons. She won New, York's, uh, New York State Marathon. She won Virginia State Championship in the wow. US. She won San Francisco. She has won Pune International in India. She's top 10 half marathon runners in India right now. She earns about 30 to 40,000 rupees per month by running marathons, which is like 500 to 600 dollars. 
So now Reshma, who is a buffalo herder, is doing that. She's running the entire family. She's the breadwinner. In her case, automatically, the parents have now shifted, come to me and they say that now Reshma eats, we give her almonds, we give her meat. But now she's the first preference. Also, there are a couple of reasons. A, because the family is recognized by her name, that they're Reshma's parents. B, she's bringing money. So remember I was saying, getting that dignity important is really crucial and important. So today, because of that, the parent have shifted their views. So that kind of change also happens. And the last thing is when you see athletes like Reshma competing on the highest level of going through a lot of challenges, right? Even though Reshma is a top 10 India athlete, they work hard. They don't get paid as Indian cricket male athletes get paid. Not at all, right? Not even close to it. Not even 0.1% close to it. When all that is happening, they still give their 100%. And when they come home, they still work hard in the field, farm field. They still clean the dishes. They still cook food. I don't think a man can able to do that, including myself. When I was at the competing at the highest level, I considered myself as a top athlete. So I would like, you know, I would have that kind of privilege and that kind of, con and of course, these girls have that confidence. Rishma travels by herself, not speaking a single word of English, but just big smile on her face. She went to, she go, she went to the U.S. She came back by herself. So that is a big and huge achievement for her. But I think when women are doing all these jobs simultaneously, I always believe that they are like a super women or like, how do you call it? Those Spider-Man, Batman, whatever they are. Yeah. So like superheroes. I think they yeah. are like a superhero. And you mentioned... Um the village leaders, are they open to these new programs? Sometimes not. You're right. Because I remember the first time we were giving sports bras and undergarments to girls. People didn't like it because, you know, you have a conservative uh, background of a lot of villages. People always, children have always seen the parents beating, uh, father beating their mother. For them, that's a natural process. For them, they don't think it's wrong. And you won't believe it, at least 51% of Indian women think that getting beaten up by a husband is a normal thing. Is the reason behind that is because that's happening regularly. So, of course, people don't want it. People do challenge us sometimes. But as I said, you know, one of the big aspects of that, when they see role models like these girls, when they're earning income, when they're going, representing everywhere else, their parents kind of learn that, you know what, we are getting recognized because of our daughters. I think that's a huge change. If that happens, then it, because if I fight with the family members, maybe I can fight with maybe two, three. I cannot fight with 50, 100 family members, right? I cannot argue with them because then they say, no, this is how we have done, how our parents, our ancestors have been doing it. Why would we allow our daughter to wear sports bras or sports undergarments? Why would we allow those things? So, you know, those things are there, but I think building the relationship with the parents and the community is very important. I think that's where we are good at. We are able to build a relationship. I speak the same language as the people do, not just by language, but also like uh, they know me well. I, I try to visit every single village as a, in person and I make sure that I'm part of them. And I make sure that, uh, you know, the entire organization is part of them. It's not someone from outside. And um, you mentioned cricket earlier. Um, and we all know that Virat Kohli is the Indian cricket captain. Even I do, and I'm South African. Um, yet when it comes to female sports captains, such as Mitali Raj, who, for those who don't know, is the ODI female cricket captain of India, we are generally clueless. So how do you think we can change this mindset to one where we celebrate both male and female sports stars? 
If you have a burning desire to make a difference but aren't sure how, join our Young Changemakers program. This part-time virtual program introduces participants to the basics of running a social enterprise, sustainability, social impact, and innovation through group discussions, expert-led workshops, and learn-by-doing modules. Join us in solving real issues and creating a better world. I think for that, I have a great example of the US. I think the female football world cup, women mm. football world cup in 2016 or 2015. I'm no, I don't remember exact date, but the US won that world cup, soccer, football, soccer. So that was really necessary. I believe that they won against Japan and it was a huge deficit, right? They won, I think, two, five or something like that. I think it was necessary for US to win. Now, of course, it's not because I was living in the U.S. by the time, not because of that. I think when U.S. won that World Cup, that was the celebration was across the world. And a lot of U.S. corporate companies were involved in giving endorsement deal and sponsorship for the women athletes. You have Hope Solo, you have um, you know, Carly Floyd, you have these athletes. We're talking about equal pay. We're talking about equal opportunity for men and women, even in the U.S when it comes to US as a developed country like Europe is, like Norway, Sweden, all these countries are developed, right? So in those developed countries, you're talking about equal pay. And I think that was very necessary because if US would have not won it, the way football went across the women's, in, across even in India, people were celebrating it because people knew about it. I think that is the reason that that, that, that was a huge win. So now they're talking, now they have become a, you know, uh, the, at the front page of Sports Illustrated and things like that. I think that was very much necessary to happen that. And that a movement, a movement of equal pay started, a movement of equality started. Now going back to your question that how we bring the women's sports, like in US, they have a title line. Title line is a law in the United States where you have to give equal opportunities in collegiate sports to women as well. Sometimes some smart university, what they do is, let's see, they don't wanna spend more money on women's sports, so they will also remove the men's sports, so they don't have to worry about Title IX. So they do these things as well. But one of the best things the US has been able to do, and I think world will also think about it, not about just winning. See, it's when we always think about winning the medal, that is gonna change the whole narrative. When we think about that sports should be played by every single child. Sports should be like uh, enriched by every single parent. Sports should be lifetime, not just for competition, not just for winning. That is when the things are gonna change. And that's what you see that in US. I have a friend of mine who is a long jumper and triple jumper. He was one of the top in the US. He got uh, selected for the Olympics in Rio 2016. Now this guy wanted to become a, he, he, he didn't like triple jumping, but he was selected. You wouldn't believe it, he didn't go. He didn't go because he, he was not, no, he didn't want to because he said like, I'm not happy with this. He wanted to try out for American football. So he tried out, he didn't get selected. That was okay with him. Now he has become a professor, but he's not, he's not like, he's not saying I, I regret it. He said, I just didn't like the sports. I was good in it, but I didn't like it. I think that kind of mentality is required. You need to change that. And that can happen only when you see sports as a, as a opportunity to have fun, sweat for something you love. You cannot see that I want to become just an Olympic 
uh, uh, gold medalist, but then on the same time, you have to love the sports. You have to be a good human being as well, right? You cannot be an Olympic gold medalist and not be a good human being and not love your sports. You have to do that on the same time. And then U.S. has this collegiate program where you have a March Madness, where you have a NCAA. I think that is very strong because you'll see, you'll see in a university, let's give example of Kentucky. Kentucky is a big basketball program university. In Kentucky, if a grandfather has gone to University of Kentucky, right, basketball is huge there. When the grandfather was there, now you see grandchildren are going to watch the game in the arena of University of Kentucky. They pay for the uh, tickets with their grandparents, and they say that we are coming here because our grandparents went to the school. They didn't even play. They just went. See that kind of uh, mindset U.S. has. I think that is very important because that's how much you love the game. That's how much you love as a fan. You have to watch the game. You won't believe it. In the American football in the U.S., the audience inside the stadium, the students or, or the parents of the students, is like 120,000, 125,000 people for college football games. And outside is another 30,000. So you have 150,000, 180,000 people watching Ohio State playing against uh, North Carolina or somewhere else, or Michigan, right? You have college football games this big. You even in the US, you will see at athletics events, you have 2,000 people, 3,000 people watching athletics events. That's a huge number compared to any other place in the world. And, and one of our athletes, Reshma, always says that, that she likes to run because she sees even people cheer for her. And that only happens, she said, whenever she had ran twice in the US. She said the US experience was fabulous. She said, I've never seen that many people coming and cheering for people. So that happens because the family is involved, because the community, the community talks about, oh, our, our neighbor running, so I, we should go and cheer for them. And because they do that because they have a passion for sports, not because that person is going to win the medal. Right? It's not because of that. So to improve the situation, we have to pay attention to our female athletes, their sports. We have to go and watch their sports. We have to make sure that our children, our sisters, our brothers, they play sports, we play sports. So it's, it's basically loving the game of sports rather than just competing or rather than just winning a medal. So if you do that, I think that's the key. And that way we'll get endorsement deals for females competitions as well, because it's all about watching. Unless we don't watch the game, unless the viewership don't go high, there's no point in talking about why we don't get the more spectators or things like that. Yeah, I also think it's important to have female role models. We seem to have so many male sports role models, but very few female role models. Even like when I went to India, I was in India in November last year, 2019, and people would often ask, oh, where are you from? And I would say, oh, I'm from South Africa. And their faces would light up and they would always mention famous male cricketers from South Africa, like John T. Rhodes, Jacques Callas, Sean Pollock. So sports such as cricket and wrestling, which I know Mandeshi Champions is involved in, are traditionally male-dominated sports, which often exclude sports women. So how is Mandeshi getting more women and young girls involved in these types of sports? So wrestling is actually traditional sports of my state. One of okay. the states. There are two. It's called kabaddi and wrestling. So it's kind of like uh, very close to the people here. And uh, now we have a lot of girls who are doing wrestling. That's incredible. I'll give you an example of another athlete. Her name is Kajal. Kajal Dada is a part of the Mandishi Champion Sports Program. She, her father was a good wrestler. 
like in that village or maybe that area. So father wanted her son to his son to become a wrestler, of course. And Kajal used to always watch the game, but because father never taught Kajal, his daughter. Now she always watched it. She learned from watching it. She always wanted to participate. One day without telling her dad, she entered in the wrestling competition in the village. And then she beated a boy who was against. And that's where father realized that, you know, my daughter also has a potential. So after those many years, now the Kajal is seven time gold medalist. She's been selected for Asian games. She's one of the top athletes. She can beat the boy in her weight category. Any boy, I have seen at least. Most of the boys she is in her weight category. So she's equal to boys in a way, right? And now, as you said, yes, you're right. Wrestling is a male-dominated area. But now that movie you mentioned, Dunga, mm. that movie has actually uh, created a lot of awareness. The movie is directed and, act, I think, produced by Amir Khan, is an actor. And also, he is acted in that movie. And there's the Fogat sisters, who are Gita and Babita Fogat, who are world-class wrestlers. One of them, Gita Fogat, won a Commonwealth. Both of them won Commonwealth medal. And now they are in wrestling leagues of India as well. And I think because of them, it has happened that a lot of parents are thinking about, you know, before they were hesitating, their, go their daughters are doing good in sports, but they're not able to like support them throughout. But because of that movie, things have changed. See, that's what you, when you, you're exactly right. When you have a role model like that, when you have a, a, a even parent role models required, right? Not just an athlete. How a parent, in, in that movie, it has also shown that he, the guy, he wanted first his son to be a wrestler, but then he couldn't be that level. Then he decided for his daughter. And that happens, right? We should not ignore that fact that, oh, um, he first chose his son. It's okay because we are living in that society. We're still, it's inequality, right? So unless you celebrate those parents, you have to facilitate those parents. You have to give them a, a stage where they can talk about their experiences. And they, sometimes they might say wrong things. It's possible. But at least celebrate these women, celebrate these parents who are trying to change even a little bit in their lifestyle. I think that's one of the way wrestling has come up. Yeah, I, th I definitely think that progress is better than perfection. Like perfection is the long-term goal, but we do need to celebrate the progress as we go along. Um, and as our worlds are becoming more online and especially during the lockdown of COVID-19, how has Mandeshi champions had to adapt to this? Have you got any online programs? We did several, on several places, we were doing some different initiatives because of COVID-19. Some things were changed. Some things we improved, some things we had challenges. So it was all to bunch of together a combination of everything. So especially in the beginning of the COVID-19, we realized that uh, we didn't know how long the lockdown is going to be. You know, when the Prime Minister of India just came and said that from March 21st is going to happen, we have no clue. Even I'm not sure if the government was um, that much equipped with a lot of stuff and how things are going to be. So of course, the first thing is they're gonna, the lockdown before even COVID is going to hit is a migrant, is going to hit the labor workers, the ones whose daily income is on the daily work they do. If they don't get a daily work, if they don't, they don't get a daily payments, how are they going to eat food? So we kind of figured that out and we were able to give a food bags to about 20,000 people, who are, especially women, who are labor workers, who are migrants, 
in that food bag, you have a food material for 10 days. You have a sugar, you have a tea, you have a coffee, you have a soap, you have three masks, cotton masks, you have a um, uh, wheat and, and all the other stuff. There are like 14 have different things which were there. So we gave that in the beginning. So we were able to give in the state of Maharashtra, different places in total 20,000. We also gave some migrants directly cooked food. So we gave about 15,000 migrants, 15 to 18,000 migrants cooked food. And then as soon as the day passed, the month passed, we realized then now COVID patients are increasing. So we made sure that how do we help the district government, the healthcare system. So we decided to give uh, PPE kits and the N95 masks to healthcare workers. So we did that. We gave them about 5,000 to the district government. Then after that, then when it hits our area, now we realize because our villages are far away from the health facilities. They're, we don't have the closest health facilities about 70 miles away. And also that one is full with COVID patients. There are no beds available. I used to get phone calls every single day that, you know, would you be able to get us an oxygen bed? Please try to find out. And these are all underprivileged and poor people who are trying to, who don't have that much of income to go and go to the private hospitals. And even private hospitals in the area, they're full. So I know about 20 to 25 people who passed away in front of me because they were they're not able to get the health facility on time. So by considering that, I decided, and, and of course, team of Mandishi and all, we decided to kind of, why don't we build a hospital, a COVID facility hospital? So right now we are in the process of doing that. We are opening one hospital tomorrow. And then I'm actually very busy with those things as well. And uh, we have, uh, so the hospital will be with, in partnership with the government. What we are doing is we are providing equipment and necessary like ventilators and stuff like that. And then government is gonna run it. One is 300 beds, the other one is 22 beds. So we are doing two. The 300 bed is going to be open tomorrow. 22 bed will be after 10 days. So Amazing. these are like how we, yeah, we, how we shifted the, the process is that starting from giving food to now giving oxygenated beds and hospitals. And in between also we tested two, 3,000 people in different villages for COVID because uh, the government was not able to do testing on time. So I came up with the idea was that why don't we plan to test people. Also do awareness, we have uh, vehicles and, and cars, not a car, but like a, those tuk-tuks going in different villages and talking about masks is compulsory, necessary. Don't always wear a mask because that's the first thing you can do. Even hospitals and those things are there or, or may not get oxygen. Right now, oxygen is so bad that yesterday we had over 300 oxygen cylinders, we only got 50. And I don't know when the other 250 is going to come because it's all scarcity across the places. So, of course, we are trying to change with that. Now, coming to the program, these are all um, kind of relief work. Now, the program Mandeshi champions what we are doing is we are first in the beginning, we gave the children also food packages, the athletes, protein packages. We also give them two trees to plant so they can plant while they're in COVID. And then we, are, we were providing in the beginning in-house training where our coaches went there in their houses and provide them, them training there in the house. Okay. So that was also kind of new and, and, and you know, by keeping the distance and stuff like that, of course, our, we have Olympic size swimming pool, we have 400 meter track, we have a gym, all those things are closed because we cannot operate it at the moment. But maybe in one month from now, we'll be starting that as well. And right now we, we also have elite athletes. We are taking care of their accommodation, food and everything. So we give them five times chicken, meat and stuff like that. They live with us. And at the moment, these athletes are getting trained regularly, but this, we have created like a bubble 
where how the leagues have created bubble, we also created our own bubbles. They don't get out of the place. They stay there. They practice every single day. They eat food. We provide them everything. So that way we're also doing, and as uh, we're also doing Zoom sessions, Zoom calls with coaches in the U.S., coaches across the world, international athletes, like Olympic medalists are talking to them about how do you build confidence and stuff like that? How do you stay alert? So we are doing that as well. And the other thing is we did the educational conference where we wanted the teachers to, government teachers to kind of get aspects of how skill development, how communication is can be done. And we had other experts coming on the conference and talking and giving them a workshop on those things, how gender equality is important, how the communication is important, how do you teach students when things, when you don't have the facility, when you don't have the right thing, how do you still make that happen? How do you use innovative ideas and things like that? So we had that was going on as well. With business schools and everything, we did WhatsApp calls. We had um, WhatsApp video created so people can watch, women can go and watch and things like that. So, you know, we are adopting it and, and using technology. Our women are now using Zoom and things like that. The athletes are using Zoom. We had nutritionists, physiotherapists coming on the Zoom and talking to the athletes, preparing their plans, literally doing Zoom, se uh, Zoom session for physiotherapy where all the athletes were kind of watching the therapists and they were telling what to do. Same thing with the coaches. So we did all those things as well. And whether people are using like an online training program or an in-person program, the coach behind the program or say the physiotherapist or the nutritionist behind the program is really important. And it seems like your coaches do more than train the girls to excel in sport. They also they have a deeper impact in helping them find a new pathway to a quality life. So how do you go about finding good coaches that fulfill this really important role? Yeah, the number one thing is our coach is not somewhere, the person is not somewhere from Mumbai or some international coach. We don't have those. Mm. We have people who are grown up here. We have people who are in love sports. We want this. We don't want a huge gap between coaches and the children. We want them to be on the same line. We want the coaches to understand where these children come from. You know, it's not that because sometimes rural and urban is a different mindset. So we want coaches to understand those things. And then we also want to empower the community here. So we always select the coaches from here. We give them training. We give them very good quality training. We in person give them training. And also we have another institute. They give them training as well. We give them training about good touch, bad touch. We give, we give them training about how do you... Uh, communicate with the women athlete, how do you understand their problems, how do you, and, and we want the coaches to speak freely about periods and things like that. It's not some hidden agenda about that, you know, we want them to, this is a part of your life, you just have to figure that out. You athletes should be very welcome to talk to you. Then, you know, remember I was telling you that we have these workshops where they do plays, skits, tell a story, regardless of who you are, you are a, like an India representative athlete, you are an Asian medalist, which from our program, you have to be part of the workshop. That's like a compulsory thing. Every alternate day, they take a part in the workshop and they talk about these issues and coaches are trained to do and conduct the workshop. So the, the main thing is that we all are in the same level here. We are on the same boat. We want this boat to be shipped now. And that's the whole idea of this thing that, that coaches understand the impact. Coaches are part of it. Coaches have been through the challenges what athletes have been through. So they know how to handle it. They know how to deal with it. And then we also show them few bright future in a way that mm. how do you become a good human being? That is the most important thing. Yeah, I definitely think um, that local knowledge and that no local connection is really important. Um, the last question I have for you is what do you hope Mandeshi champions will achieve in the future? Yeah, so that's uh, really 
I mean, I get asked this question all the time. <laughs> sometimes we have the same answers, sometimes I have different answers. It depends on, on how things are going in Mandeshi's life and my life and all the other coaches and athletes' life as well. You know, of course, we want our athletes to be in the Olympics. Of course, we want our athletes to compete for the world championships and things like that. That is there. But more importantly, we want everyone to play sports. So that's the reason we are working with government schools across the state. We are trying to implement those policies. So what we have learned from our experiences in the program, that stories are important, that uh, workshops are important. Those things are important. How sports can be incorporated with all these things together. Those things are really, really matter. And sports is not just about winning. It's about opportunity to play. It's about giving that self-esteem and confidence. So what our mindsets are, if we want to have India, people always say that India is not winning medal. Of course, it will not win a medal. In 2016, we have 1.4 billion population. We've only got two medals in the Rio Olympics. The reason behind that is simple. People need to love sports. We cannot just play to win medals. So I think that kind of mindset we want to create. And, and that's the reason I talked about policy level changes. And that's a bigger dream than just training maybe out of 8,000 next 10, three, three years, we'll be training 50,000. That's not the case. The case is here that how do we have other people also train the way we are training? That will only happen if our policies are incorporated in the government system. And that's the whole plan. And that's the whole idea of moving forward. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Transfer Good podcast. And we wish you the best for the future. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it having us here. Thanks for listening to the Tribes for Good podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on social media or through our website, www.tribesforgood.com.